Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs, startups, and side hustlers share their startup stories. Rising Tide helps you break free from the Monday blues and launch your own startup. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Thank you, Lucy. I appreciate that introduction. And once again, this is Kevin Pro with Rising Tide Startups. And my special guest today is David Tao. David, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It is a pleasure to have you. And uh, we're, we're kind, of, kind of going for the whole Jack Media family. Uh, we're trying to get the mom and the dad and all the kids on the podcast here. So uh, this is going to be, I'm, I ask you off, offline if, uh, you know, we had one of your co-founders that is also, that was uh, on, a, on the podcast earlier, like late in 2019. And I wanted to ask you, just make sure that you could refute everything he said, or maybe you're going to agree with a couple of things. Well, if we can get a 50% agreement, 50% disagreement, I call that par for the course. That just sounds like a business. <laughs> that actually sounds like marriage closer to than it does it, a business it, partnership. It basically, it's basically that. <laughs> it's like a friend of mine calls, calls me his work wife because we spend so much time together. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just not quite secure enough to handle that. But, uh, you know, we'll go with it. So, well, David, tell our listeners a little bit about David Tao. Sure. Well, uh I was born and raised in central Kentucky, which surprises a lot of people because I live in Brooklyn, New York now, and our offices in Brooklyn. Uh, a lot of similarities. It's, you know, basically the same thing, uh, <laughs> except it's completely different. No, I, I was born and raised in, in Kentucky, uh, which is, was a great place to grow up, you know, spending a lot of time in the woods, the hiking, fishing, all that. You name it, shooting bows and arrows, you name it, probably did it growing up, did 4-H, Boy Scouts, all that, all that jazz. Um, <clears throat> was really, really fortunate to... Uh, have a family that said, uh, you know, maybe you should, maybe you should get outside of Kentucky a little bit before you decide where you want to be eventually. So I actually ended up going to boarding school for high school in, in Tennessee, which is not that much different from Kentucky, let's be honest. And then um, from there, I uh, went to school, went to, went to college, went to Harvard University, um, was very lucky to meet just so many diverse groups of people there. Being out of the South for the first time was just like, such a really good introduction to the variety of people and perspectives that exist in the world. And uh, it was just four years of me learning that there's more under the, there, there's more than what I was experiencing under this little rock that kind of my, my family was in. Not that there's anything wrong with Kentucky, absolutely wonderful place, but getting out and getting exposed to, to different groups was fantastic. Moved to New York after that because I thought it'd be cool because, you know, bright lights, big city, that's where the action is. There's Broadway, there's Times Square. And once I realized that Times Square, you want to avoid at all costs, New York made a lot more sense, but I ended up sticking around. Uh, I got my start in business journalism, actually wrote for fortune.com for a bit, but very shortly thereafter was kind of yanked by startup world and ended up becoming the first editorial director at a health and wellness content startup. So I went from like business content journalism in kind of the old magazine, old guard magazine world to very quickly like digital first startup content where I really kind of cut my teeth, built early editorial teams, hired people, kind of figured all that out on the fly when I was very young and very inexperienced and I'm sure made a ton of mistakes along the way. That's kind of how I became involved in the health and fitness content space. I'd always had an interest in, in, in wellness. Um, I was a competitive weightlifter. Uh, I'm still a, a CrossFitter these days. I co-owned a CrossFit gym for a number of years. So just kind of fit into the path my life was taking outside the office. 
Uh, left that role, ended up doing content consulting for a number of years, uh, working with some like major Fortune 500 companies, working with startups, basically all sorts of companies that needed content or wanted to build content teams. I helped them do that, helped them figure out what to write, who to hire, all that good stuff. And then in early 2016, um, I had known my, my current co-founders and business partners for a while. We came together and uh, you know, they had some existing brands they were running. They kind of had this thesis of, of owning, operating really high quality niche content brands. We launched Barbend in early 2016 under that banner. It was an idea I'd had for a while, but just didn't have the business partners and resources to launch it myself. Um, so once I found that, you know, it was kind of off to the races. And here we are almost four years later, our team's grown. Barbend is alive and well and growing today. Seen a lot of great growth so far in 2020. And, uh, not only do we have writers and editors, but videographers, audio professionals, graphic designers. Uh, we're truly a multimedia brand right now. It's, uh, it gives me it gives me a lot of pride and joy every day. So, if you're in the in the weightlifting space, so is there another site that would be a rival site, or did you chase one? Did you kind of pattern yourself after one, or a, walk us through really, that? That's a really good question. Uh, there's nothing quite like. Uh, now, there are things that are less niche, niche, right. niche. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. And Whether you're from France or Kentucky, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You yeah. have to choose. <laughs> Whatever you want. Uh, there, there are things that are less specific and more specific. But Barbed is kind of, we've actually changed it a little bit. We're broadening our scope. But when we started, it was four strength athletes by strength athletes. So by that, I mean covering weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, strongman, anywhere, any sport that was testing how strong you are mm -hmm. in some capacity, you know, like a pure test of strength. And news analysis opinions of what's happening, how do you train, what's going on. There wasn't anyone doing that across all strength sports, really. So I think we were kind of the first. Now, there are other sites out there now that have popped up, I think, trying to do some of what we do. Um, but I think as far as making it a true multimedia brand, so having the videos and the podcasts and media partnerships with the sports governing bodies and doing things like live broadcasting the CrossFit Games, um, we are, I think, currently the only brand really doing that at scale across the strength sports. Now, some people are doing great content, but just in CrossFit. Some people are doing great content, but just in weightlifting. And the cool thing is we get to work with a lot of those brands that are even more niche than we are uh, because our platform might be a little bit bigger. We might have some more general eyeballs. So I think if you go up or down the chain, you'll find some people doing what we're doing. Um, but as far as multimedia across strength sports, I, I think we're... We're kind of on our own there. So when you launched in 2016, so walk us through kind of that that year, 18 months right before that, that said, yeah. okay, um, I am kind of transitioning out of the, maybe the content consultation space. I, I am, it's kind of a rolling, it's almost seems like it's a rolling job for the last five or 10 years leading up to that space. Would that be a good description? Definitely for the like previous two years, uh, I had some, some clients that I was working with, you know, very regularly, but even then sometimes I'd work with those clients and then I'd end up working with their clients. So even if I was at one place for a while, it felt like I was at four places for a while and I was on the road a lot. Um, a lot of it was health and health and fitness based, not all of it, mm -hmm. but a lot of it was health and fitness based. I even did some writing for the CrossFit Games website at that time. You know, I was just kind of bouncing all around and, and it, it did feel like a little bit of, I felt a little bit like a rolling stone. I was picking up a lot of great experiences. I was working with cool people and meeting cool people, but it was a lifestyle that 
honestly, I didn't thrive in, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest. And I think a big reason that I settled back, to, I was always living in New York, that was the home base, but at one point I was on the road for, you know, 26, 27 weeks of the year, more than half the year. And some people thrive under that. I've worked with some people who were just road warriors and man, what they did, the deals they closed, the progress they made, it was impressive. And they were bouncing forward, back and forth all up and down the East Coast, and, you know, internationally. It was not a lifestyle I thrived at. I need a home base. Yep. Um, I need I need some grounding. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't like traveling. Right. But I can't be on the road for half the year. It's just I'm not going to be in my best. And I'm not going to perform my best. And the people I'm working with aren't going to get the best out of me. It took me a while to realize that, frankly. Uh, and I feel bad that uh, it didn't take me two years to realize that. But, hey, it's a truth I kind of live with now, you know. I, I, I mean, I love the idea of kind of this niche space that you were talking about that you, you kind of, you know, like we, we said so many times on the podcast, nothing is wasted, you know, leading up to kind of how this, this whole thing culminates in your life. And, you know, you can probably look back and see how all the pieces kind of fit together to bring you to this, you know, a time such as this. But walk me through the process of sitting down with, uh, with your co-founders at, at or the, the co-founders of Jack Media and say, okay, we're going to start a niche site and this is how we're going to make money. And I mean, it sounded like to me that they, they had already kind of perfected the McDonald's hamburger before you showed up and, and they were kind of giving you that sales pitch that said, Hey, all you got to do is show up. We got to do content. We're going to, this is the secret formula and it's going to pay off, but it's going to take two years to get there. There was no secret formula. The formula is always changing. Like that's, that's the thing about content. And and I don't know if we had the best grasp of that back then. I think, you know, you find a way, I, I, I'll, I'll give an analogy. You hear a lot of people who started websites in 2005 and they made a lot of money because they put Google ad sets on their site and Google Google sent them big checks every month when they got some traffic, right? Not so much anymore. Those, those checks got smaller over time. Yeah, <laughs> over time. The, the decimal points started moving. <laughs> it started moving in the wrong direction. And, you know, when we started, we were, we, the cool thing about Barband was, you know, we did raise a round of seed. We bootstrapped and self-funded, then we raised a round of seed money. And we said, let's focus on building the brand. And then we'll worry about revenue. I, worried we, I wish we'd been a little more revenue focused earlier on. It is what it is. Uh, it's a big focus for us now. But the key for us has been diversification of revenue right? It's not just being all in on Google AdSense. That's the only check we're doing. Um, Diversification of revenue is important for us. It's funny. I was just talking to, uh, I was just looking at some some numbers for this month and looking at our estimated uh, YouTube revenue. And I'm like, cool, count that in a a different bucket than, you know, what you count from from Google. But wait a minute, guess who owns YouTube? It's it's so, it's so funny. Uh, (laughs) But diversification of revenue is important. So on-site advertising, obviously a big source of revenue for us. We write a lot of news content. We get a lot of traffic. That's always going to be a source of revenue for us, right? Hoping that we can, you know, work with ad inventory that's high quality and, mm-hmm. and doesn't disrupt the reader experience too much. Monetization through things like YouTube videos. Sure. It's not our, I'm going to be honest, it's not our primary source of revenue, but it's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not count it, right? It's something right. we pay attention. Uh, sponsored content, things like podcast sponsorships, so our podcast grows, sponsored content on site, sponsored video on our channels, increasingly important for us. And we've worked with brands big and small. We worked with uh, Under Armour on two big sponsored content packages that featured articles, motion graphics, video in, in 2019, hoping to work with them again soon on brands like that. Tons of fun, 
our editorial team really enjoys it. You really get to push the envelope there uh, in, in helping those kind of companies reach a specific audience that we have. Um, you know, there are a lot of different paths to, to revenue. And I think that Barbend, we, we've explored direct, uh, direct apparel sales before. We've had some mm -hmm. success there. We're not doing that so much right now because we want to focus more on content production, but that, that was a, a profitable source of revenue for us for, for a time. It's something we might explore again. Digital products, obviously a big source online um, that a lot of major media outlets are moving toward. Right. These are all things that we either have explored, are exploring, or, or know we will explore. Right. And uh, when it comes to revenue, especially when content is your product, right? Mm -hmm. It's nothing that's tangible. It's not like people are, are buying, you know, a pair of shoes or, you know, a safety razor from you. You have to make sure content is monetized across different platforms in different ways. Right. Because if one of those platforms shifts and changes, you don't want your company to be a house of cards that completely collapses just because Facebook updated an algorithm. Exactly. I mean, I, you've, you've heard the horror stories of the pandas and the penguins and all the other animals out there that have, have you know, virtually caused sites to close overnight. You know, that's well, now that after states, there's like the Florida update, I think, uh, you know, next we'll have the Oklahoma update. So they ran out of, I guess it's like hurricanes when they run out of names. They're out of animals. So states. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's going to be soon. The Russia update is going to shut everything down. Oh. So, you know, that, that's what's coming next. So. No, no comment. <laughs> I'm of Russian extremity. Apolitical here. That's right. Yeah, I have to be careful what I say. I have some, I have some Russian-speaking family members who might be. <laughs> I actually think they're listening to the podcast. I have to be careful. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, they heard everything anyway. So, well, so walk us through the, the I'm just curious if you were, if you were going back two years from now, you said you kind of learned some lessons or actually it's, it's closer to four years now. So you learned some yeah. lessons on, on the um, kind of the, this, the whole path you've taken since you started, you know, Barbin, what would be say one or two things that you're, you would just say, oh, man, I wish we knew this day one that would have been a game changer. I wish we we punched up in media partnerships a little bit earlier. It's funny. I, I uh, we live streamed the CrossFit Games last year, and to be fair, the CrossFit Games underwent a lot of changes over the mm -hmm. past few years. And last year was the first year that a site like ours could have live streamed the games uh, because previously, well, like CBS had an exclusive, Facebook had an exclusive, ESPN for a time had an exclusive on packages from the CrossFit Games. So it wasn't like in 2016, the first year we were around we could have just flipped the switch and put the games live on our site. It wasn't going to happen. But in talking to folks at CrossFit HQ, some of them I, I knew because I did a little bit of writing for HQ and did a little bit of work with them. Um, you know, they, they were, when we were talking to them last year and prepped to stream the games, they were kind of like, yeah, why haven't we done anything with y'all before? Like, we know who you are. We, we, we like what you do. We, 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 if you had approached us, we would have worked with you on, on maybe creating some sort of partnership or mm -hmm. doing some sort of exclusive content or working with you to release stories under embargo. Like we would have done that sooner. And the answer is, I just assumed the answer was going to be no. Yeah. Because, wow. because, because I was like, Oh, we're not big enough. Well, what does big enough really mean? If you're in a, if you're in a, a, a niche space, right. right. It, it, it is, it turns out we're pretty big for, for our space. Um, <clears throat> You know, are you, we partnered with USA Weightlifting. We've had that partnership now for, for about three years. We partnered with them when we were under a year old and became their official media partner. 
that might have, that should have rung a bell in my head and been like, wait a minute, we're the official media partner of the official governing body of weightlifting in the United States. We can probably approach a lot of different people to work with them. And I think that I had a hesitancy because I was, it's like, oh, we're not big enough yet. Oh, we don't have these numbers yet. Oh, our audience needs to get a little bigger. We should have just forged some of these relationships sooner. They're strong relationships right now. We're very thankful for them. We enjoy them. We should have just done it earlier. Now, I would, I would think that your, your audience is primarily based in the States, but probably has a global, a global reach to it. Where are kind of the hot pockets around the globe in this space in general? I'm, I'm thinking maybe Eastern Europe. I'm thinking, you know, where are some of the places? <clears throat> um, so the, the big ones, Australia, huge. Fitness is, well, CrossFit took off like hotcakes in Australia, sure. but big weightlifting culture there, um, all sorts of stuff, right? Um, Australia, very, very big, very big sporting culture and weight strength sports are a part of that. The UK, pretty big following there. Canada, obviously, I almost count Canada and the US as, as kind of like one unit for those mm -hmm. for certain for certain metrics. I shouldn't, it's a very distinct country. Yeah. Um, a lot of French speakers up there, um, but those are kind of the, the, some pockets. And uh, we have a growing, growing readership in India, China, Eastern Europe, we do have a, a readership. Um, you know, I think that, frankly, while strength sports have a, large, a long history and pedigree in like the former Soviet states and in Eastern Europe and things like that, there's just a language barrier. Mm. Um, and, you know, Google can translate anything, but at the same time, like we're not writing things in Russian. We're not writing right. things in right. Polish. Like, it's not difference. a language of origin for our content. Yeah. So it is primarily English speaking countries right now, not that, but I mean, we see traffic from, from, from all over. Brazil is actually, Brazil's a, a growing audience for mm -hmm. us, uh, which is kind of cool to see. And obviously uh, a pretty long history of fitness culture and strength culture in Brazil as well. So uh, no, no big surprise there. So walk me through kind of the strategy, you know, you've mentioned the podcast a couple of times, walk me through the strategy of how the podcast and say the site integrate. What, yeah. One feeds the other. I mean, one supports the other. What? How do those two pieces fit together? The, the podcast is a, it's a branding component, right? So it's like, are we meeting people? Like barben.com is the home of Barben. It's a website. But in order to be a brand, you have to meet people on the platforms they exist on, right? Like our website, we own our website. That's our platform. You're on our website. We're calling the shots, right? Within, within reason. <laughs> within sure. reason. Um, but if we're on a podcast, you're hearing us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher mm -hmm. or Podbean or whatever. There are a million of them, or Google Podcasts. That's not our sandbox. Right. Our content is syndicated there, but that's not our sandbox. Same goes for um, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, right? We don't own those platforms, but we adapt and customize our content for those platforms. And that's how you build a brand. That's how you become more than a blog. That's how you build a brand. The podcast and site integrate in more specific ways in that we embed the podcast on individual portals on our site where you can actually go read every full transcription of our podcast episode. So every time we release a podcast episode within a couple of days, normally in 48 to 72 hours, there'll be a full transcription of the podcast on barbed.com along with more information, more detailed show notes, link to links to relevant content, other information about our guests. That's cool for a few different ways, in a few different ways. One, it allows people to listen to that podcast on our site if maybe they're not a podcast listener, if maybe they're not spending a lot of time on Spotify or mm -hmm. Apple Podcasts. Yep. Cool. 
it also makes the podcast more accessible for people who might be hard of hearing, but they still want to get that content. They can read it in a visual format, which is we're, we're really happy about because we want to make our content accessible to a lot of people. Or if you just want more context on our guests, if we mention like a viral Instagram video or something in a podcast, we're talking about it. We can just embed that in that article and that portal on Barbet Absolutely. And get that visual representation as well. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I would think that it also helps kind of the SEO for Barbin just period. I mean, the, the more keywords that you have out there in the, in the content, embedded in the content, more long form content would, would I think help you in the long run, uh, just building kind of the authority of the site itself. Yep. It, cer- it certainly does. It's, it's tough to measure that specific benefit. Like sure. when you measure SEO benefit, you're, you're, you're sometimes going qualitative over quantitative because you're like, maybe, you know, yeah. uh, you, there are ways to measure it, but sometimes it's a little bit like, I think this is helping this much. Right. Um, a bit more of an art than a science sometimes. Oh, fuzzy, fuzzy metrics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blurred line. A little more like, liquid. Ah. <laughs> That's exactly it looks, right there. It looks like it might be. Yeah, it might be something there, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't pass an audit, but uh, yeah, we're going to use them if we need to for a VC. So I, I'm curious, when you when you approach a VC for a site like Barbin, what's the, what's the pitch? What's the, is it, I mean, is it the, we eventually are going to exit from this, we're going to sell it. Um, I mean, what's the, what's the hook for a VC? So it's worth noting, we don't have any institutional investors, actually. So our seed round was uh, primarily friends, family, angel investors. We have no institutional investors. Um, so uh, we did pitch VCs. I'm going to be real with you. We did. Um, some of them were interested and the terms they put forth were not terms that we liked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were pretty aggressive and we were like, whoa, uh, not, not exactly. A lot of them wanted us to move to the company to, uh, to a different location because they were like, New York's really expensive. Come run the company here out of our office. And I was like, uh. <laughs> so uh, we had some interest. Central Kentucky. <laughs> Central, no, not, we did not pitch any PCs in Central Kentucky. Uh, surprising, right? I think that I think it was just like the terms we just didn't come to an agreement on either side. And then some VCs weren't interested in us because some VCs were like, "Look, we just don't we we do content, but we don't do niche content, or we do niches, but we don't do niche content." Right. Yeah. So I think niche content has grown a lot in the past four years. I think it's a lot hotter than it was four years ago. You see a lot of. Um, direct-to-consumer companies that are using niche content to really convert customers and expand their customer base. Four years ago, it wasn't quite that case. Right, right. I don't some think, yeah. But I don't think they were doing it as well as they are. Sure, sure. I, I mean, the VCs also got to get their head around it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not just the normal thing that they may, may talk about every day, you know, a, a content site. And so they're going, hmm, so it's like a library. It's like a blog. It was, it's like a what? It was, also, it was also around the time I think Snapchat was going public around that time. I could yeah. be wrong, but I think it was roughly around then. And uh, so everyone, like, everyone was just like, yeah, so like, you know, how do you, uh, how do you turn this into the next snap? And I'm like, what do you? What do you mean? We do we do strength sports. Like that's that's a terrible comparison. Exactly. Like that's just not that's just we're the you know, we're not a what? Yeah, we um, want you to be the next Uber of weightlifting. Yeah, make it what, Uber what? for weightlifting. I'm like huh? Airbnb, that was, that's right. I don't even know how that would work. Like <laughs> like what? So you you rent a barbell set and then we come I pick it. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. like, Share it with your neighbor. Yeah, that's it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a way to annoy your neighbor. That's how people do it. Uh, you're downstairs. 
<laughs> yeah, so I, I, yeah, I love that. Go ahead. I think there are more examples out there right now of, of content, especially niche content that's doing it like that's doing it really well. You have sites like The Athletic. I don't know if that that's not as niche as we are, right? But they're they're killing it. You have sites like The Information. Um, you have newsletter first companies like Morning Brew, The Skim, things like that. You know, they're established now. They're respected brands. Four years ago, some of them didn't exist. Right, right. That's, I, I mean, it's a, amazing to kind of see that how things pop up and, and, you know, sometimes they get traction and sometimes they just, you know, die a very quick death. And, not, and uh, I, I was listening to another interview you were talking about it, and just the ideas of, you know, starting a site like this. And, and you touched on just a little bit, on, if you can expand on that a little bit, the, the idea of what keeps you motivated to stay engaged with a site that is going to have a pretty long tail before it really starts showing some some return. I mean, your your sites are what 12, 18 months, maybe, maybe 24 months before they really start gaining traction. For the majority of them under Jack Media, I think is what I remember. So even longer through that process. Even longer sometimes. I mean Barbens, thankfully, we're over that hump. You know, we're 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 very much on the other side um, as far as revenue attraction and things like that we are multimedia we've made some of the, a lot of those leaps not that we we saw plenty of leaps to make don't get me wrong um you take it it takes a lot of patience and honestly i know more people who have tried to start companies like this and have failed due to um they just run out of patience yeah. and they don't have enough time tolerance than have failed because they made some catastrophic business error Sure. And that sounds crazy, right? Like people mm. weren't making mistakes, but they just stopped right. because they were like, this isn't moving fast enough. I want to move on to something else. I've seen more niche and, and, and boutique content companies uh, fall by the wayside because of that than because there wasn't an opportunity or because there was some terrible mismanagement or something like that. Um, that's just the truth of it. You just right. like, <clears throat> is there, what's the secret sauce to being patient and like gritting through it? I don't, I don't know. I'm from the, I'm from Kentucky. We we're great at, at just kind of putting our head, like putting our head down and, and getting through stuff. I, I, I think we are, you know what I mean? Like, yep. um, but if I were from California, I definitely wouldn't have made it. No, I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm absolutely, just, I'm absolutely, <laughs> uh, but, but I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like, sometimes you just have to grit it and hope it works out and, and no game plan is hundred percent. Like I firmly believe in business that you can have, the best team in the world, the best investors in the world, the best business model in the world, nothing is 100% guaranteed sure. at, at all. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, that's absolutely true. And I, you know, as you were, as you were talking there, I was, <clears throat> I was wondering, so how important would you say passion for the subject is? Do you have to love the subject to be able to stay in the boat with it? Or is it one of these things you say, well, I don't really care about, you know, granola. But I, I know that that's a hot topic right now that we can talk about, you know. So, sure how important is that? Granola site? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. I would love to invest. I want to be. I want to be one of your seed investors. No, I'm <laughs> um, I, <clears throat> more of a just general oatmeal guy. Uh, passion counts because it's a big. It's a, it's a it's a short term differentiator. But it's a but it's a and it's also a long term differentiator. Where where I think it matters the least is weirdly in the middle phases, right? It matters when people first see your brand, 
And then when they see your brand after you've kind of made it over that hump of traction, it's when they first see your brand, that passion shows through, like, is this content good? Is it authentic? Is it by people who care and know what they're talking about? And then when people start seeing your brand everywhere, are they still passionate, authentic, and knowledgeable about their subject? If the answer is yes during both times, guess what? You've just gotten yourself a reader or a listener or a viewer for life. You've just gotten yourself wow. a subscriber or a follower, right? But you have to hit them because people will see, a lot of people start, saw Barbed very early on, and then they probably didn't see Barbed for like another year or something like that. Or until, you know, maybe they saw our coverage of the CrossFit Games of 2016, and they didn't see us again until our game, coverage of the games the next year, because that's where they tune into that kind of thing, right? But if the answer is yes, we're authentic and give, and give great value to those users, those listeners, those viewers, on both of at, during both of those times when they first see us and then when they start seeing us pop up a lot because we've gained a lot of traction, you got them. Great. You've, you've left a great impression uh, for the lifetime of that relationship you have with them. So it is important. And a lot of people ask, they're like, oh, a lot, I, I've been asked this a few times on a few different podcasts. Oh, well, that passion you can kind of build in later on or you can build that expertise later on. If you do it later on, you're missing the boat on that first point of contact. And if you do it early on, but you don't care about it later on, you miss the boat on that second point of contact. You have to have it during both times. And I think during both of those very important contact points for people who can be your Uber users, your readers, your people who are interacting with your content literally every day. And that's what you want. <laughs> so I've got two quick questions. What happens if they, if they find you in the middle? Ooh. Between um, those two points. And the second one is, right, go ahead and you can answer that one and I'll, I'll ask you the second one. Well, that middle point is different for everyone, right? Which is why you have to stay authentic and passionate the whole time. And as your team grows, those first hires you have, they're incredibly important because that's kind of taking you through that gritting period, that, that time before you're gaining that traction. They're in, their, the, in, the, in, their, in the trenches with you. Um, you never know when that midpoint is going to be for someone right, for a user or a reader, right? Um, so it could be anywhere during a calendar year or during, you know, over the course of a, a longer reading cycle than that, an engagement cycle. Um, so you do have to have that all throughout. I use that as an example of like, here's how you break it down to one reader or viewer or listener's yeah. experience. Yeah. But I mean, not everyone's interacting with things at the same time. So there are infinite iter iterations along that time. I, I have, uh, I've asked a variation of that question dozens and dozens of times to, to guests on Rising Tide. And I, I have to say that is the best answer I've ever heard to, that, to the question related around, you know, is passion a, a real requirement to be able to sustain you through the, through the difficult times? So I, I give you a, a hand clap and applause in the middle of the podcast here. That, that was awesome. And, and I think per, a perfect segue into kind of our next segment because, you know, brother, you're on a roll right now. So um, as you as you grab the mic and you become our professor in, a, in one of my favorite parts of the, of the interview that talks about kind of the, the rising tide startup school and just walk our listeners through, you know, they're, they're sitting in the cube, they want to escape, they want to jump over the wall and, and make a run for it on a Friday afternoon and say Monday morning, I'm going to be doing something different. Give us, give us two or three just key steps to kind of think through. Um, you can niche it down however you want to, but just kind of walk us through just a real quick process of just 
as, as somebody is thinking about starting something, what are some things they really need to think through? First off, I'd say try and identify your weaknesses. We can never be objective about ourselves as humans. So you might have to ask people. You might have to ask a loved one, a significant other, a former coworker, a colleague, what are your weaknesses? Because you're going to need to find either you're going to need to work on those weaknesses first off, but you're also probably going to need to find business partners or, or, or early hires who can help you address those weaknesses or make up for that slack. We all have weaknesses. Try and identify what yours are. It's going to really influence how you build your company, especially in the early stages. Um, identify your risk tolerance, right? <clears throat> are you willing to take a significant lifestyle change in starting a business or joining a startup? Not even just for founders, for early stage employees. Identify your risk tolerance. That also means tolerance, risk tolerance when it comes to a changing quality of life because your take home pay may go way down. It may change. You know, your circumstances may change. Your working hours may change. So identify what you're bad at, identify your risk tolerance. And then the third thing I would say is if you are a quantitative person, get qualitative. If you're a qualitative person, get quantitative, right? Make sure you can make assessments on quality of product and audience. And then also make sure you can make data-oriented assessments regarding the quantitative outlooks in your space. I, I like to think that no one's perfectly balanced. Some of us are quantitative, some of us are qualitative. And it goes back to finding your weaknesses, right? <clears throat> Look on the other side of the coin. Try and combine the two. If you are an amazing statistician, but your product is crap, well, that's going to be a problem. If you have an amazing product, but you don't know who to market it to, that's also going to be a problem. Try and really become a student of both sides of that coin when it comes to whatever product or industry you're interested in, in entering into. And a really great way to do that is to look at what competitors are doing. Talk to people who might not be competitors, but might have analogs in different fields or industries. So those are the three way, things I would say to like look at if you're, if you're sitting around and you're like, man, I got an idea. I want to run with it. What do I need to start considering now? I'd say those three things. So as you're, as you're kind of trying to identify strengths and weaknesses, I mean, other than asking people kind of in a, you know, 360 around you, are there some other tools or things that you might, might suggest that people could use to, to help them identify? I mean, is it through strength finders or something like that, that, that they could, you know, maybe look to and, and as, as just kind of additional resources? That's a, that's a good question. I don't have an excellent answer for that off the top of my head. I think that, I love, uh, I love asking people, I love asking people I work with for, for feedback on how I'm yeah. approaching things. One of the gr greatest sources of information about yourself that I don't think a lot of people tap into is former coworkers and colleagues, mm. be they people who have left where you are right now or people you work with, you know, before you left uh, a previous job. <clears throat> Go back to the, you know, the people, if you still have contact with people you're working with three years ago, whether it was at a different position, at a different department, at a different company, they're at a different company now. Ask them for some feedback. Take them out for coffee. Buy them dinner. Be like, hey, what was I like? You know what I mean? Like, get, like tell it to me straight. Um, they're a great source of information about you and about an outside perspective and a more objective perspective on you. And why not tap into that? Can't hurt to ask. What a, what a great idea to uh, not just current work colleagues, but former work colleagues. And, you know, they, they've kind of lost the, the kind of the dog in the hunt. They can, they can be as, they're not gonna, they're not as gonna open with you as they can. That's exactly right. And especially if you, if you give them that, that, uh, you know, open that door and say, Hey, you know, I'm too old for you to hurt my feelings. Please, 
you know, give me, give me the, the raw data here that I'm seeking. I'm, I'm an open book. I, you know, it's a, it's a safe space here, you know, safe lay, harbor. Lay so lay maybe it do it in public just to be, just yeah, exactly. Be, <laughs> exactly. Maybe in a public setting, like a park. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great idea. So what would you, uh, I'm just curious if you, if you, you know, this was all scrapped and you were waking up Monday morning and you're starting something brand new, what would it be? I'd write comic books. Write comic books. Easy answer. I'd write comic books. Okay, so I'm going to pin you to the wall. Why are, what's keeping you from doing that right now? Nothing. I should. I actually have a, I have a couple ideas in my head I should work start working on this weekend. I love comic books. I love studying the craft of creating comic books. I've read many books about the theory behind comic book creation and story from the art to the, <clears throat> to the storylines, to the dialogue, to the art direction. I should. I don't have an excuse. <laughs> well, we're going to recap and we're going to swing back in about 12 months and you're going to be going, what's bar band? I, I have no idea. I'm, <laughs> I'm the next I really doubt that. Marvel. But, uh, <laughs> I'm a Marvel bar, competitor. Marvel bar, man. I don't yeah, know. The Marvel. That's, that's what it is. That's right. There's no copyright infringement there whatsoever. You just, you just go with it. So. Well, David, man, I have really enjoyed this this chat today. And uh, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you just want to kind of leave with our audience today and just wrap up and maybe just once again remind them where's the best place to find you? Yeah, I mean, I, you've covered we've covered a lot of ground, so I don't want to add, I don't want to add too much. Maybe we'll get to do a part two some, at some point in the near future. But I, you're welcome anytime. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. If people want to follow along with Barbed, visit barbed.com. Find us at Barbed on most social media platforms, YouTube. Etc. We love hearing from people. Thank you know. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what we can do better. We'd love to hear from you. Personally, I'm at d underscore tau d underscore t a o on Twitter, and then I'm at David Thomas Tao on Instagram. Send me a message. Tweet at me. Whatever you want. I'm pretty responsive. I am. I'm really shocked that uh, Bar Ben was available when you bought it. It, no one had used it. I was, it's, that's a whole other story. I could go off on like for like an hour on how surprised I was. It was there. <laughs> amazing. Was, I think it cost said, like three or four dollars or something yeah, like that. Or, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, that, that, that seems like it's a pretty short name and it certainly, you know, kind of touches on what you do. So, you know, what a, what a, uh, you know, a great op opportunity you had to get that the URL. I will never buy a URL like that for that price ever again. It will never. not happen. They don't exist. That's exactly right. Happen. Too many people camping on, on domains out there for sure. But <laughs> David, thanks again, man. I hope you have a great weekend. And it's, it's truly been a pleasure having you on Rising Tide and just, you know, sharing your, your story with us and kind of giving us a, just a, a tremendous amount of value in a very short period of time and just really playing your part and helping all boats rise in a rising tide. David, thanks again. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.